Welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast, brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed, providing expert support and advice across all your corporate finance, due diligence, tax and accounting needs. BDO have been a champion of our industry for many years and are really proud to support many of the best brands in hospitality. If you want to make sure your business is in the safest of hands financially, BDO would love to take you for a coffee to understand your business vision so that they can help you get there. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how BDO can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. Supersonic. 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 Tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So we're just in the middle of Veganuary and I guess we've got a bit of an opposite episode for you. I don't know what you would call it, maybe Hamanuri or something like that. But we've got the amazing George Rice, who is the founder and MD at snack company Serious Pig. I'm really interested to know his story and how this all happened. I don't know loads about the brand yet. But what I have seen are some incredible things, superb tone of voice, superb branding, superb name. They've got an amazing little brand book as well that you should check out on their website. I also got an amazing bunch of goodies sent to me, which is really uh, stocking the snack cupboard. So as we come to the end of dry January and Veganuary and all the rest of it, I'll be pigging out uh, when we get into February, no doubt. So look out for them, and I really think you'll enjoy Georgie's advice and this episode. So it gives me the most posh pork pleasure ever (laughs) to introduce today's amazing guest, who we've just had an amazing chat for half an hour while we've been waiting on the studio, vacating. And it is Mr. George Rice of Serious Pig. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No S on the end. No S on the end. One pig. One pig's enough. <laughs> <laughs> two pigs, too many. Yes. Is that the thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you travelled from Peckham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I live and work. Keeping it real. Yeah, I love Peckham. Nice. Southland. Uh... <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a great area. Do you know, I've not been out there enough. I think years ago I went to buy a guitar from someone in a pub. And that was many years ago, and I need to yeah. get back and just have a look around, see what's going on. Well, a lot's changed in the last since I've lived there. I know four years now, I think, or maybe five. Mm-hmm. A, a lot has changed, you know, mainly for good. Um, and I think a lot of the, you know, the sort of talk four years ago was that it was going to become gentrified, mm. and you know, and, and obviously people have 
talked about Brixton and how that's changed and perhaps not for the better overall and that, and people worried it was going to be the same in Peckham but no it's, it's not it's, it's managed to keep you know the, the big sort of chains have, have kept away from the high street um, there's a couple probably opened um, and I don't think it's because they've been bullied away or anything mm. like that I just think I just don't think the people you know want them and if they open they'll, they, they would get any it's an interesting thing like I'm living down in Brighton and it's a similar sort of vibe you know it's not really chains on mass mm, mm. and actually a few are closing at the moment mm. and it really seems that people are wanting independence authentic you know yeah, someone local yeah, yeah. doing something amazing yeah, yeah I mean it's a whole conversation really and a lot of people are, you know talking about it now and what what's going to happen over the next few years with with retail and you know, I, I, granted, I live in a bubble in London compared to the rest of the UK, and I'm from Nottingham originally, and I go back to Nottingham and I see lots of shops sort of closing down and people are buying things online. And yeah. But in, in, in Peckham, you know, we've got an incredible butchers around the corner and there's, a, you know, the grocers and bottle shops and, you know, there is a, a rich variety of, of retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, not for the low-income families, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's a lot of low-income families in, in Peckham still, and there's a lot yeah. of lot of social problems that, that you know that need you need addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will get there. As I said, overall, it's it's changed for good. Mm-hmm. But Peckham, if anyone's been to Rye Lane on any given day, it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I I work with a guy who was he did a bit of work for us actually. He was he lived in was brought up in Manhattan and lived in New York most of his life. Oh. And he came to London and he said Peckham is really the only place I've sort of felt that sort of level of energy in the air, okay. like like you know Manhattan. It's highly just a, but highly charged, yeah. And everyone's just getting about their business. Yeah, yeah. They're getting on and they're getting about their business. In a, in a in a really really great way and yeah. you know and it, and it is like a it's sort of walking down the road is like walking around the world you know yeah. everyone is there from every country yeah, yeah. and uh, and by and large it's all it's all great that's a good thing definitely yeah, yeah. it is if you like your food as well yeah, you yeah. know you don't have to you go on your holidays to 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 experience food from really some really exotic places yeah, yeah. you know you can go down on the high street and, and find it all there so if we go back a little bit obviously we'll talk about serious pig and all the rest of it but if we go back what was your life before that? What, what were you doing? So, how uh, far back should we go? So, I left school, um, didn't go to a very good school, didn't get much of an education, um, but was always, you know, thinking, you know, sort of thinking about my own things, trying to be creative, basically, yeah. and, and in lots of different areas. Um, and went to college and studied business for a little while, but it was the first year the course, the college had done this course, and I don't mm-hmm. think they really knew what they were doing. Right. And, you know, you're sort of straight in on day one doing profit and loss accounts and things like that, which was just nonsense. And um, so I, I, I finished the course. I did some A-levels. I dropped out of A-levels, but I did the business course. Finished that. I did okay, I believe. I never even, no one even told me what I got at the end of it. Like really? Sort, you didn't get an A or a B or something. You got like a, a merit or a something. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I, to this day, I don't even know what I got. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't but a fail. It wasn't a fail, yeah. no, no. I went to the classes and, you know, I learned something, I suppose. But what, what I did next was really when I started to learn. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I worked um, for Paul Smith up in Nottingham. I'm just trying to think if I missed anything out there. Oh, no, that's right. I started my own business when I was about 19, okay. but that was quite short-lived. And I was doing um, things for, for, for gardens that, you know, that the plants climb up. They're called pergolas and like yeah, wood, yeah. wooden frames and whatever. And there was, you know, I just, my dad worked in construction and I knew my way around a handsaw and things like that. And yeah. I thought, okay, there's some money to be made there. Yeah. People are watching shows on TV about making your gardens look nice mm-hmm. and da, da, da. So I did that and 
that that worked reasonably well but i tried to run before i could walk and i made loads of mistakes and, and sort of mm. so in the end i lost a bit of money and wrapped it up and then when i got a regular job and that was when i was working at paul smith uh-huh. um and was it paul smith the shop was it paul no, smith the, the head, head office? office yeah well first in the warehouse uh-huh. packing boxes yeah and then a job came up in head office um and i went for that and i got that um and that was interesting because that just showed me you know a, a, a growing business yeah. it showed me a medium-sized business growing fast with a quite a enigmatic leader mm-hmm. and and you spent time with him and a little bit yeah yeah, yeah wow. because i because i was sort of um, doing a bit of this and a bit of that you know i'd sort of say look can i see paul and show him this idea and whatever and yeah. you know sometimes now he's not around or whatever but yeah. you know whenever he was in Nottingham, travelling around the world, and whenever he came back to yeah. Nottingham, I'd, I'd have half an hour with him or 20 minutes, and I'd say, look, I've got this, and what do you think, and whatever. And he was always encouraging, you know, yeah. and if he said it was a bad idea, you know, if it was a bad idea, he'd, he'd say so. Um, but he was probably one one of them people that gave me that insight and, and you know, just think, look, you know, you can do something if you if you, mm. if you try hard and, and work at it, you know, yeah. and be happy to fail several times, yeah. you know, which I'm more than happy to do. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but what, what, I mean, what was going through your head when you're going to see because it's that double it's not just the big boss is it it's someone who's super famous mm. you know he's a household name in a, a lot of ways so did that feel weird were you ever nervous about that or are you just it was just Paul Smith it was just Paul Smith really I suppose because I, I'd sort of grown up playing golf mm-hmm. as a kid because the house that I lived on had a golf course we was at the side of the golf Great. course, right? So it was a gate onto the golf course. And I used handy. to go out there and just look for golf balls, yeah. sell them to the golfers. And before you know it, I found a club somewhere. Before you know it, I hit a ball with a club and then I was hooked. Yeah. So I joined the club and started playing. And mm-hmm. it was a really... I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, you know. Yeah. But as a junior, you used to have to play with an adult. Right. Because I didn't trust two, two kids going around mark, marking their own <laughs> cards, you know. So I was always brought up with, with adults mm-hmm. on the golf course. And some of these individuals, you know, they ran big companies. Yeah. You know, and they didn't go on about it. But, you you know, you knew. And they were, they were leaders of industry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them, you know, great people. And I got a lot of confidence talking to older people or yeah. successful people as a very, very young kid. I'm talking 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Wow. So when it came to sort of, you know, if I was having a chat with Paul Smith or something, I wouldn't have been probably yeah, you know too feast. no no but yeah. equally I have enormous respect and admiration oh, yeah. to this to this day and you know completely think he's a genius yeah you know? yeah and what about the golf then Are you handy i got i got pretty good mm-hmm. um i never had the right temperament i'm a lot you know I, I i used to have a bit of a temper when i was a kid and you don't need a temper when you're playing golf you've got to forget about the last shot you can't <clears> do anything <throat> about it yeah so i got down to single figures i got down to about five wow. and i stopped playing and then i started again and got down to three and that was when i was a bit older and then my temperament had improved because <laughs> i had you know probably <laughs> so many bent businesses. Clubs. yeah yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and what about after paul smith then yeah so that that was that was interesting because what happened? I, I was I, I didn't my, my role by the way at Paul Smith. It was quite funny. I was head of buttons, uh, and that was a, t- a title I'd given myself right. because I was literally like looking after all the buttons that went to the factories to go on the suits and the shirts and whatever. And there wasn't even a job title. I don't think it might have been called head. It might have been called trims, trims assistant, right, right, or something. I had to get some business cards printed. And I said to my, my boss, and I said, look, I need some business cards, but I can't put, like, a trims assistant. Can yeah, I, can I, if you don't make up what you like, I said, well, can I have head of buttons? She says, yeah, that's all right, I'm having it. Head of buttons. But I wasn't paid much. But there came a point where I needed to get a bit more money. Mm. And um, and a friend, a friend of mine had left and gone to work for another fashion business in Nottingham that was more mainstream fashion. Yeah. Um, so I got a job there, again, just helping out. And then the boss... Um, 
Button's director? Was that the... Yeah, yeah. Were you zips by then? Yeah, I was doing some zips as well, actually. Yeah, I was doing zips and care labels. Yeah, swing tickets, yeah. And yeah, safety pins and all that. But so I was helping the warehouse and the company was growing fast. It was more mainstream fashion. Yeah. And it was real sort of, you know, everyone was mucking in. It was that sort of size. It was like 10 people or whatever. And they needed... So a lot of the business was through concessions, you know, in Topshop and whatever. But the brand that we would... We, we we bought for the license was Playboy. Right. So every every Playboy T-shirt you saw about sort of fifteen years ago that someone was wearing that was my fault. So the legit yeah, one. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, so we started wholesaling them to, to retailers. So that was my job to, to sort of. Um, I was just given a chance basically, and he said, "Look, here's a suitcase full of samples. Go out and sell them." And it was like knocking on an open door. Everybody wow. wanted a Playboy T-shirt. Um, so that team grew, mm-hmm. and I learned a little bit about you know, sales and, and how to grow, you know, grow a wholesale side of things. Right? And managing people as well. Managing I suspect, people, yeah. which I wasn't really great at, to be <clears> honest. And, I, and, and there Why not? What, what happened? Because I always give people the benefit of the doubt, you know. <sighs> so you've got sales guys that are sort of, yeah, they're out there saying that they've done five appointments or something like that. And someone else is telling me I've just seen him in the pub or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God. Too trusting. Yeah. Too trusting, yeah, yeah. really. I just, not really one for confrontation. You know, mm. life's too short. So, but I had to grow up, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to grow some teeth. Yeah, yeah. And, and deal with it. And I, and I did, but it was yeah. uncomfortable. And it was, but, you know, if, if, if you're running a business or even or working for a small business, everyone has to, you know, you, you take the rough of the smooth. And yeah. the rough for me was, you know, the discipline side of things and, yeah, you know, yeah. really sort of making sure that they were doing what they were told. I think it's a horrible thing. And it almost felt like it hurt me more than it yeah, probably hurt yeah. the You know, I hated it. But you put yourself in their like position, that. you know, even if they've yeah. been dreadful, you know, yeah. you're still you're still uncomfortable to have to tell someone that, you know, look, I'm sorry, there's a door. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. if it really is gross misconduct, which, yeah. you know, on, on occasion it might have been. But, um, yeah, but I learned so much there. And the boss was really, um, you know, he put a lot of faith in me mm. and and said, look, you, you know, off you go. Give me a lot of autonomy and off you go. So it was sort of like running your own business, but without the risk. Mm. But, um, but unfortunately, the brand, you know, like any brand, you know, it comes in cycles and yeah. it was heading for, heading for the rocks. Yeah. And uh, Playboy were, you know, expecting us just to be able to sell all sorts of bits and pieces but really the fashion you know the UK is different to the continental Europe and, and, mm. and America in terms of trends you know we're far more into our fashion here and some of the yeah. clothes were quite nice yes they had the Playboy logo on but it wasn't you know like a big bunny head on the, on the chest it would have been yeah. something more subtle and people were buying them because they actually fitted well they mm. were made well you know and they looked quite cool you know yeah. for a period of time it wasn't just but a then big white just, baggy t-shirt yeah 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 but then Playboy kept seeing the you know the, the royalties coming in and, and thought, oh, we can do anything. And then before you know it, there was a load of junk out there yeah. and it was heading for the rock. So I, I jumped off at that point. But in the meantime, I'd been sort of stripping wallpaper off, off, off the walls in a flat and I'd sell that and make a bit of extra money, you know, doing work in the evening just to try and build up a bit of cash so that I could leave my job without yeah. necessarily having another job to go to. And what was the plan then when you, when you were doing that? To move to London, really. Yeah, outgrew Nottingham. In, in my mind, I had mm-hmm. you know, I, I just felt that I needed I needed a new new city, you mm-hmm. know, and I wanted to be in a, more of an international city. Although Nottingham's got a great university, with loads of international mm-hmm. students. It just felt it was a time, a combination of things. I just wanted to get out. And if someone had said, "Hey, you can go and live in Hong Kong or something," I would have gone there. But yeah, you yeah. know, I, I, yeah, it was a big city I needed to go to, and London was down the road. And I came here with a with a plan to 
sort of, you know, just explore London for a year, find my feet, do some bits and pieces if I could. Yeah. But I'd got a little bit of cash just to one side and um, started to design a bit of furniture because I've always been interested in design and mm-hmm. architecture and things like that. But that was a credit crunch time and that failed pretty yeah. quickly. That's so was that around 2008, 2006, 7, 8, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But what was happening was I was going to the pub a lot, but not in a, not in a, <laughs> not in a bad way. Well... It was expensive going to the pub the whole time, but I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't, you know, forming a an, an unhealthy habit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was in the pub a lot, and it was great to be in the pub with a mate. I got to know my neighbour downstairs, and um, we became good friends. And we'd go in the pub a lot and chat. And then it suddenly penny dropped. It's like all this good beer, and then it was real ale, not craft mm-hmm. beer. This is pre-craft beer. This is yeah. real ale. Yeah. And there was real ale coming through. And a friend of mine opened a pub, and it was all about real ale. And it was like, well, you know, where's the snacks? Mm-hmm that are you know the equivalent to the quality compliment so that was that led me on to serious pig and yeah and then and then it was like hang on a minute there's a job here yeah you know i'm my own bit there's a there's a business there's something here you know which which sort of brought together what i saw was a gap in the market and the fact that i needed a job but i mean where did you even start i mean did you have any knowledge of ham butchery none yeah none at all i mean I, you know, I don't have the most sophisticated palate in the world, but I can taste, and I can mm. taste bad things, and I can taste good things, mm-hmm. and I could taste good beer, and I could taste bad beer. Mm. And I thought, where's where's a good, you know, where is a good version of a pepper army? Where is that? Yeah, you can have a good version and a bad version of everything. You got pepper army, which arguably is at the lower end of the, you know, of the quality scale. The mass end, just in case they want to sponsor the show at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then you've got a beautiful little saucisson that you can buy from a French market, you know, full of flavour and been, you know, been been aged correctly and not just been accelerated the ageing process by using, you know, different scientific techniques that the Germans were using to make to make sort of salami hold the water yeah. um, more so that obviously you're not evaporating as much up the chimney and therefore wasting, you know, the, the money you've spent on your meat in the first place yeah, yeah. Yeah, and whatever. And... Um, so it's like, yeah, that's it, Posh Pepper Army. Bosh, let's go. And so where was the first phone call meeting? Um, where did you even start? I, I, I think started to think about buying them from mm-hmm. France, going to France, finding a factory that could do them, putting them into packaging in the UK and mm-hmm. then testing them into the pubs, see if they'd go. And I think I did that uh, for a little while, maybe a, few, a couple of months, and straight away everyone was going, yeah, I'll buy them. You know, and and they bought them, and then in turn the customers in the pub bought them, and and then they sold out, and they said, George, have you got any more? Yeah. I was like, you know, so it was like, okay, we've tested it, it works, yeah, people yeah, want yeah. that, you know, no brainer really. Brilliant. Um, but at the same time, British charcuterie was just starting to emerge, mm-hmm. and there's a few people um, down in South Wales that were making um, salami and 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 you know air drying whole mussels and things like that, and I thought, hang on, if we could use British then we haven't got to be off to France all the whole time mm-hmm. or deal with strikes in France yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. and logistics. And, and then we thought, hang on, we could use sort of high welfare. Because I was starting to think a bit more about welfare and animal yeah, e- yeah. eating less meat, but eating better meat. Yeah. You know, that was just a thing that I'd sort of decided to do years ago and try and try and try to cut out, you know, low welfare, low welfare sort of continental mm-hmm. Europe imported meat and stuff. 
so so I got on I got in the car and drove down and saw a few people and everybody said they could do it mm-hmm. but of course they you wouldn't know, say that they would say from that, your sales yeah. uh, team experience uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and you know I said look I'm going to need like 50,000 of these a month you know yeah. I, I imagine because I've worked out how many pubs there are and I've worked out how many pubs are suitable within the pubs that there are in the mm-hmm. UK and then I've sold, worked out how many they, that one pub sold last week and I've scribbled it down and I've gone I'm going to need oh yeah then we can do that that's no problem but it was a problem yeah. so for the first two three years we didn't really make any product because i went through a load of different people sort of because i didn't really want to build a sausage factory myself and yeah, start yeah, start yeah. drying sausages yeah. because i knew that you know there might be new products that we could add on and build a proper business here mm-hmm. and therefore i don't want to build a factory for each different product i need yeah. to find a supplier yes we would develop the recipe mm-hmm. yes we would think a lot about how it you know how, how it what sort of weight it was size it was diameter and all the flavor profiles mm-hmm. um but I wanted it outsourced, yeah. Um, because I know nothing about running a you know a food factory either, uh, and it might take many years to you know to get yeah, there yeah. and a lot, a lot of, of capital, a lot of capital, and a lot of mistakes, etc. And then you might have lost your moment because someone else might have gone, oh, posh pepper army, you know, and done it. Yeah. Um, so the first few years were, were, were sort of weren't wasted, but we didn't sell sell anything. It was more like a bit of a sort of hobby, and I was sort of keeping my eye on other things as well. Mm-hmm. But I got a bit of backing, yeah. and uh, my neighbour that I used to. Um, go to the pub with his father put some money in because he thought it was a good idea and and then really the breakthrough came when i met someone who was was been out in france and trained as a charcutier and had come back and was starting to do a few things sort of quite small scale and he had a an idea about how we could make a lot of salami in one go mm-hmm. and that was the sort of breakthrough really you know, can you see how that yeah, was yeah i can yeah so really what, what the way people were making um, salami regardless of the size is you'd you'd fill the casing like you're making a sausage and you put yeah. obviously all the cultures in there and the salt and whatever and then you'd ferment it so you put it into a small room shut mm-hmm. the door and you'd sweat it for t- 24 48 hours is it like a certain heat in yeah, the room or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly um, um, and then you'd transfer it to a bigger drying room mm-hmm. where the temperature was, was was lower and the humidity was different and, and the airflow etc etc and then you'd wheat later you'd take them out mm-hmm but in, but really, what you sh- what you were doing was putting another two thousand in the small room, taking them out, putting them in the big room, and then every day you're obviously taking out two thousand that are ready, and the next day you're taking out two. So it was like a queue, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, why can't we put them all into one big room in one go? Eleven thousand was the size that it could take. Shut yeah. the door, ferment them all in there, and then the program changes and brings the humidity down and, and the temperature and the airflow and changes all the aspects yeah. that you need, and then take all eleven thousand out a week later pack them all and in the meantime you you, you know da, da, da. so yeah it was a, a bit of a one of them i mean look back at was it now it's tri- like was it tricky to do that yeah it was but the principle was easy so yeah. we knew that we could we you know with with refinement we could get there yeah you know and he was the expert i'm not i've never claimed to be the charcuterie expert yeah. i've learned a lot along the way but he understood exactly what we needed to do to stop mold breaking out because you've got to get the airflow right and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So we had a few failed batches, but by and large, it was a huge success. So we built our own sort of plant, really, on a third-party site and started making them, and then we got going. I mean, that's like... Years ago, I went for an interview at uh, there's an innovation company called What If. I failed miserably, right? I got my arse yeah. absolutely handed to me in the interview. The guy... So it was Diet Coke. I've got the can sitting here. Oh, and yeah. He said, uh, what would you do with Diet Coke to innovate it? And I think my answer was, there's 
doing all right in it. What do you want me to say? It's yeah. doing, it's doing yeah. quite well. I yeah. think I, I did mention Slimmer Cat. Anyway, he just was like, piss off, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. one of the things they were telling us about what they did, and it's to your point, what you've you've said was, I think it was EasyJet, someone like that. And what they had seen was, you know, when you're queuing up to go on yeah. the, the flight, what was causing an extra, someone like 20 minutes or half an hour, yeah. was they were waiting for everyone to get off. The ground crew would then go up and talk to the pilot and this and that and da-da-da. And then, and all they did was, I'm sure this is the right story, they just put a headphone jack in the nose cone. Yeah. Of the plane, yeah. So while everyone's coming off, yeah, they can talk to the pilot straight away, yeah, and do their checks yeah. and all that, yeah. Ah, but I see. so it's like a, you know, so that saves, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you if get you think on. twenty yeah. minutes, half yeah, an hour, yeah, yeah. even if it's five them, minutes, yeah, you know, yeah. that's a huge amount, yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's an amazing thought that you had to just because what you could be told by suppliers is that's just the way it is. That's just We've the way it is. Done it. Well, the, the beauty of working with. UK producers in charcuterie yeah. because they were starting from almost and we know DNA in this country to, to you know to cure mm. dry meats really so we were starting starting from a blank blank canvas so we didn't have any sort of historical you know traditions or whatever ways of doing things yeah. you know so we, there was a more of a fertile ground to breed an idea than perhaps in continental Europe where mm. they would probably just say well this is how we do it yeah you know Tough although I'm so. sure the big factories that are making lots of little salamis probably do do the same thing but yeah. you know i couldn't talk to them because i was too small they wouldn't, wouldn't pick the phone up to me you know with with even fifty thousand a month or whatever it was and know. what about the taste of it then so what ingredients were you putting in yeah how you know was it like wd-40 you know it was your 40th attempt uh, yeah, to, to, to yeah. get it right i mean well we wanted to start really just fr- straight up with a good you know french style saucisson mm-hmm. you know which is really the cornerstone of that is garlic and white pepper. Right. You know, but I love black pepper. I lo- actually, and we'll talk about white pepper in a bit, hopefully, because I'm, yeah. I'm evangelical about white pepper. <laughs> it's not um, really used widely, is it? No, yeah. but it should come back. It yeah, should come yeah. back. But black pepper is beautiful because you get a real sharp bite on it. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm comparing ground pepper yeah. to cracked pepper, I yeah. suppose. So white pepper, I think, is, it should be ground, and black pepper is nice when it's just cracked and you get a burst. And, and the flavour worked really, really well with the fat. It worked well with the beers and whatever. Mm-hmm. So straight away, it was just, uh, you know, it was a regular straight-up saucisson, like a like a Milano salami or whatever. Yeah. Um, flavour profile, very, very neutral, but with black pepper. Mm-hmm. And then it was obvious that we needed like a chorizo version as well, you know, chili and, and paprika, yeah, smoky, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so were the two flavours that we started with. And the recipe has not changed to this day. One iota. And when you sell them to pubs, are they packaged or yeah. are, you, are they unpackaged? Yeah, they're in a packet because yeah. a bit of science. So do you remember at school you did um, pie? Do you remember the, the pie? 3.14 something, wasn't it? Yeah. Whatever. And that's the re- relationship I was going to see between... how far you were going to go. 3.14. Yeah, But the ratio of the circumference to the to the area. Yeah. So if you uh, make a salami which is, say, two inches wide, uh-huh. fat, the ratio to the circumference, the ratio of the cross-section to the su- surface area or the circumference, if you like, yeah. Is quite small. Okay. The, the surface areas in relation to the to the middle. If you make a very narrow salami, you know, one centimeter across, yeah. the surface area is a good proportion of the cross section. It's a higher ratio. Mm-hmm. So if you leave both salamis out on a table, the fat one and the thin one, after a week, you took a slice of the fat one, you'd eat it, 
and you'd think that tastes fine mm-hmm. because the outside is the only the outside is oxidized yeah and that would taint the flavor mm-hmm. and it's a bad flavor oxidization is a bad flavor on yeah. a salami whereas if you take a slice of the thin one you've got a much greater proportion of outside to inside so you'll taste the oxidization much more yeah so in short a thin salami will go off quicker right. if you like so they needed to go into packets mm-hmm. and be oxygen free so we put an oxygen absorber in the packet yeah seal the packet and that's a whole other story. Well, but also the good um, news is it gives you some brand equity, right? Because we can put our name on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could put a little sleeve around it, like a cigar, whatever, with your yeah. brand on. But um, or like Blackpool Rock in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, your name in, right, your name in across. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it was clear quite early that they needed to be oxygen free to give them the shelf life because it wasn't manageable for our customers either. Yeah. You know, and if you want to work with distributors as well, yeah. then obviously they're going to hold the stock for a period of time and, and whatever. So. Yeah. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. And then, what about white pepper? Then, what are you thinking about the comeback of white pepper? I just love white pepper on a roast dinner. Uh huh. I just, I, if I, my, my wife's mum and dad, you know, they, they, she's had to go out and buy white pepper. I, I mean, I took some round. I think actually, I said I can't eat a roast dinner without. I love white pepper. Beans on toast. White if you've pepper. not put white pepper on beans on toast, you have give not, it a go. You give it a go. You will never look back. My mate told me about ten years. Because you know when you say you can't add or subtract something to make yeah. it any better, whatever. And baked beans on toast, you think you can't add or subtract from that to make yep. it better. You can. Bit of brown sauce as well. Mm. Quite like that. I would agree to disagree. But get a roast dinner, roast dinner with with white pepper on it, or meat pie and whatever. But you know, where does pe- it go? Does it go on the meat or does it go on everything? It goes all over. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think my dad put me off pepper. Yeah. Period. Because, well, not the crack stuff, but he used to just put dust, mm. what it looked like, but mm. it was like grey. Mm. Mm. Well, it can be, you know. Curly, in yeah. between, it wasn't white, it wasn't yeah, black yeah, pepper, yeah. look at this. Yeah. It's like grey stuff. Yeah. Like, but no. I mean, Malaysian white pepper is, it can be quite sweet, quite fruity. It's okay. a beautiful, beautiful flavour. Um, and yeah, on a roast, um, on beans on toast. Um, so I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a mission to bring it well, back. You heard it your first. I, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, we went to Japan on our honeymoon e- years ago, not that long ago actually. But and um, look it up, Google it. It's called Gaban, I think. G A B A N. Mm-hmm. It's a big, tall metal tin, blue and silver. Beautiful mm-hmm. packaging. And if you go into any any sort of um, you know, fast food and point, you know, where they do the um, ramen and whatever. Yeah. There's just tins of it everywhere. Yeah. And you yeah. take the lid off, it's got a little plastic lid on the top, and it's just full of ground white pepper, and you oh. put it on, you took it on. I mean, it's used a lot in, you know, in, in, in food from the Far East, and, you know, as a, as a regular spice, and it's one of the five spices, you know. Yeah. Um, 
So I bought one back, and I'm only about. I mean, despite using it every day, it's only you brought down back a massive ten of yeah, white yeah. powder. I mean, I should have just bought it. I would have bought it just for the can itself. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's just slightly embossed. It's tactile. It's cold when you pick it up because it's metal, and it's just this gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Ga- I'm sure, it's called Gaban. G A B A N. No issues with customs or anything like that. <laughs> it's white <laughs> pepper. Mate. It's just white pepper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've still got it. It comes out every day. You know, yeah. if I have beans on toast, or if I have a roast, or something, or nice. any other sort of meat. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to check it. Yeah. Um, so what about then? You've made all this amazing stuff. So yeah. starting at the salami side of things, yeah. and then moving on to obviously widening out the, the product yeah. line, which we'll talk about in a sec. What about distribution then? So Brewdog and the likes. What what happened? Yeah. So I, I was at the time living in Kentish Town. Brewdog mm-hmm. had opened their first. I think maybe probably was their first one in London in was Camden, really? which was just down the road. Yeah, so yeah. as I went round on my on my fold-up bike, you know, with samples and sometimes, yeah. you know, I'd deliver them myself as well to the pubs. I was just going in, knocking on doors. If it sort of said Sky Sports on the outside, you know, or massive Carlin sign, I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. walk past it and go into the one that was doing real ale and, and whatever with no big TV, mm-hmm. and they would buy it. And then I went into Brewdog, hey, I've got these. Yeah, we'll buy them. And they, you know, the manager in that site didn't need to have it cleared by head office. Oh, really? And they would just buy them, sell them behind the bar. Oh, that's good. So I'm building up, I'm building up customers. My production is pretty much stable-ish. There's always a headache with production, but yeah. you know it was about as stable as it ever was. So I felt I could open the taps a mm-hmm. bit, but the business wasn't really making any money. You know, not making me any money, but it was. You could see there was something, you know, emerging, and it was going to take a bit longer than I probably originally thought. And then we did a crowdfund with a company that are now called Code Investing, okay. but then they were called Crowd Bank. But quite quickly, um, the, the the target was hit. So we don't we didn't really go publicly live. I'm mm. trying to remember exactly what happened. James emailed from Brewdog and said, I like the look of this. You know, let's have a chat. And at that point we closed the race quite quickly without really going publicly live because I'd hit, you know, hit, hit the yeah. target. So we got a handful of investors and had some cash then to, you know, to do the next stage of the business really, which was to try and grow yeah. grow it quickly. So we did a bit of a, a rebrand and yeah, we, we made some a few mistakes as well with PR that didn't quite work and were quite expensive and, and um can be, you know, like yeah. you hear it a lot where, you know, people are paying the three, fours, fives a month and yeah. you're maybe not getting enough back for oh, that. You I know? Mean, yeah, I could go on about that, you know. And it was my fault ultimately. Of course it was. You know, I was the one who agreed and said, look, we you know, mm. we'll, we'll go on a retainer and you know, and you'll 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 deliver us X, Y, and Z and of course, you know, they're not accountable to to, to, mm. to deliver you don't you don't not pay them if it doesn't come in. No. But we were growing still, you know, and we, we grew the product range a little bit more and we got, you know, we had some really great people come on board quite quickly. Heston Blumenthal, he's got a pub in Bray called mm-hmm. the, the Crown. There was another one, actually. There was two, the Crown and the Heinz Head. Heinz Head, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the manager from there emailed me, said, can you send some samples? I sent them in. I said, what next? He said, well, Heston's got to try them. I said, well, okay, fair enough. Great. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, and he, and he th- oh, yeah, yeah, Heston really thought they were great. Yeah, get, we'll order some. You know, Jesus so like, Christ, okay, you know. Brilliant. And then we had Jamie Oliver, because um, uh-huh. he had a chain which is now shut called Recipes. Do you I remember, remember that? Recipes, yeah, there was one in yeah. Brighton. Yeah. yeah, and there was yeah. one in... There was one in Clapham. Notting Hill? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he had, he personally tried them, said, yeah, great, we like them. Um 
and you know, so we and we we got selfridges you got and we got off with that. No? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And sourced had it as well. Yeah. Source took it, and they, they, they're my customer today. One of my best customers mm-hmm. as, as an individual site. They sell loads. They don't sell them in the packets. They sell them loose. Yeah. So they sell so many. They just put them on the top. It's the only customer yeah. we supply loose, but we brand the box that they're in like the wooden yeah, tray. Yeah. You know, it's a serious pig. So we knew that we got some good people to you know that we could then when we're talking to the bigger retailers yeah. because oh you know by the way it's in here and then they'll take notice of that yeah and just, uh, just as you're leaving heston yeah. likes yeah, it heston likes <laughs> it. yeah 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 you don't want any that's fine yeah, yeah jimmy likes it <laughs> and we still supply the crown you know great um and this is going back sort of eight years i mean our business has grown slowly but steadily mm. in a really nice way actually i mean of course everybody would like it to have grown quicker and whatever but it grew steadily through you know because it's competitive i mean the you know branded snack salty snack in the i mean it's probably the most competitive yeah, yeah. subsector of food and in, food and drink in, in the uk you I didn't think thought. that through did you didn't think that through <laughs> no well it's a bloody good job you know because i don't want to done it yeah that's true <laughs> if you actually look at the odds yeah yeah you've probably got a one in 20 chance or something i've seen loads of yeah you know brands come and go that's quite a bit higher than that isn't it maybe yeah. yeah and what so then the range exploded outwards so yeah. you've got some cool stuff going on with cheese and you've yeah. got the air dried ham and all the wonderful yeah. goodies you said so thanks for that yeah um where did you start with that product development and the the thing with the salami is it's quite an individual product mm. and if you want a product that you can share and people in the pub, they often True. open a bag of crisps up, put them on the table yeah. and everybody dives in. So we wanted to create a product that you could share. Mm. Um, you can't really slice salami and put it in a packet very well. The fat sort of melts a bit mm. and it gets a bit messy. Yeah. Um, so we developed a product which is called Snacking Ham, which mm. is made like a salami, um, as in it's a sausage, but very lean, much less fat. Uh, dry it, it's wider, so it dries longer, and then it's sliced really thin. And that gets packed into a, into a bag, 35 grams, and that's a nice product to, to share. So that did that job. And then we wanted to do pork scratchings, but not pork scratchings. We wanted to do crackling, yeah. so oven roasted rather than fried. So a lot, of, a lot of products out there are called pork crackling, but actually you, sh- you probably should be calling them pork scratchings because the difference is yeah. crackling is like what you get on your Sunday roast, which yeah, is oven yeah. roasted, and scratchings are just fried. So uh, we wanted to do something different. We always want to try and innovate wherever yeah. we can. And we found a supplier that could make pork crackling on a big scale, oven roasted, very mm. labour intensive. Um, again, from high welfare British pork, outdoor bread and all uh, RSPCA certified. That was one of the you know, pillars in our business, you know, to use high welfare. But building a community was really then like, hang on, we can build a, a community because we know people like mm. what we do and spread the word of mouth because yeah. that's the most important currency now, mm. word of mouth. And I'd sort of seen this a few years ago. One of the few things I'd sort of proud of sort of saying I and I spotted that yeah, yeah. you know because in the world of social media I mean I'm not the only one that spotted of course I'm yeah, not but yeah. I sort of felt that we were getting bombarded bomb by me by me by me by me and then you don't listen anymore yeah but whereas you go to the pub and your friend said hey George there's a restaurant around the corner you should try yeah, yeah. I'm going there yeah yeah I'm going to try it because I trust you yeah yeah word of mouth is yeah. crucial yeah but yeah. I think yeah people just been able to sort of carry that on and what I'm got in my mind's eye is I've got a local pub near me uh, in Brighton called the Foghorn yeah and you know they sell you know the the, the sort of stick you know the, the salami sticks in the yeah. in the jar and now I'm kind of thinking yeah they should be they should be tapping you up for that I think maybe yeah, yeah, yeah can have yeah. a wee word with them but, but the, the, yeah. yeah but look out as I said because that rotation you really need to sell a lot otherwise they'll oxidise quick and then yeah. and then they need to be fresh well that's the thing it's, it's worth talking to because um, 
Like, I mean, I'm not saying yeah, you should put things yeah. in packets if they don't have to go in packets. Well, they've got them in a kiln now, yeah, jam, yeah, but I don't know yeah. if that's... You yeah, know, you've got a couple of days, that yeah, sort, yeah. to really get rid of them. And at night, you've got to put them in the fridge. Mm-hmm. You know, it slows everything down. Yeah, put yeah, it in yeah. the fridge, you know, preserves it. Whatever. Now I'm really concerned that... <laughs> <laughs> it won't hurt you. Oxidisation won't hurt you. Yeah, yeah. It just tastes, just a, tastes bit a bit rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and it'll affect it. Or just buy big fat salamis. <laughs> well, yeah, we can look at that. Look. No, it's quite a nice thing because they rotate the beer as well yeah. in terms of the same things never on twice pretty yeah, much, yeah, so yeah. it just kind of keeps keeps yeah. going, yeah. which well, is, which is quite cool. you've got to keep your beer cool. fresh as well, you know. This is why keg is doing, you know, becoming more popular than cask yeah. because it's, it's easier for, for easier. the pub owners to, yeah, you know, yeah. they haven't got so much wasted. You really need to be selling 70 pints of cask yeah. uh, or cask, depending cask. on who your listers, listers yeah, yeah. are. I'm from Nottingham when I say cask. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, it's if you can serve fresh cask beer yeah. you know, and be selling, not have too many, you know, pumps on and, and selling a lot of one good thing, yeah. you know, then it's always going to be fresh and it'd be great. And it's like yeah, that, yeah. it's like it's that salami loose. Thing, I mean, I think you should sell, if you can, you should sell salami loose yeah, because yeah. it saves on, on packaging. Yeah, yeah. But you need a busy pub or a busy shop or whatever it is. Mm. Good price point maybe take a bit of a hit on your margin just to do the volume mm. and get it ticking over and just keep opening a big bag of 100 and putting them out and, yeah. you know. I'm going to ask them next time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a couple other things I was just thinking about was the brand, right? I'm really taken with your brand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's not often that I think that way. Usually I'm just like, I could have done better. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's brilliant. And what I was really so taken with was your your book of... Book of Pig. Pig. Yeah, yeah. And just... For being a, you're punching above your weight yeah, with that yeah. a lot, yeah. and I've now got two copies of it, which yeah. is great. Um, and I've seen it on the website, and I've been yeah, through the website. Yeah, you can download it from the from the contact it's page. Really worth website. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. if anyone from a brand or a marketing curiosity background, it's as good as I've seen since Innocent. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've really thought about the brand. You've thought about the colours, the packaging, tone of voice. Yeah, and it's rare. You yeah. know, so where did all that come from? What happened? Who worked on it? Yeah. Yeah, All so we stuff. had, um, I, I, years ago, created the logo, the name and the logo, and that was done. And straight away, it was a Eureka moment, like, yeah. wicked. A pig with a monocle, doesn't look cheesy. It actually looks quite good because it works with serious pig, mm-hmm. as in the pig looks serious, or if you eat too much, you're a serious pig. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, it, it, it sort of worked on well, a couple of levels. And you're serious about yeah, what's yeah, going into yeah. it. And that was the if kind it was of called serious pork, we wouldn't have been able to diversify to the way we have now. Yeah. We've got cheese, we've got an interesting new product about to launch, which I, I can tell you about, which are pickled gherkins. They're coming out soon, which I'll send you Very some. Very good. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll be the first in the UK we to get into them. pickled eggs as well at some point. Oh, man. They, white pepper on them, apparently. I don't eat pickled eggs, but yeah, you must put white pepper on them. Well, the ones I've seen, they've been great lately, have been balsamic ones. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. And sometimes done in beetroot yeah, as well, yeah, so they're like yeah. bright purple. Yeah, yeah. Like wicked. Yeah, yeah. Ah, you won't get, mm, I'll have to be drunk to eat a pickled egg perhaps, but uh, yeah. I've never been a big egg fan. Plenty of other people will be. Yeah, yeah. That was it, and it put me off for life, I <laughs> yeah. did, yeah. Um... So I, I designed the logo, got the name, and, and just straight away we got something. Because when mm. we did a show, a trade show, people would come up and they'd want the photograph with the serious pig. So yeah, not yeah. everybody had the photograph with it, but a lot of people were like, brilliant, that's a great logo, take the photo away. And then, oh, what, do, what is it you do? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was the other way. But we, I got a little bit lost in a way with, with the brand and it felt like it needed pulling all together into one place. And as we recruited people to the business to get them on message, there wasn't really brand guidelines. It wasn't yeah. really... It was all in my head, you know? And how did we get to work with um, Alex and Mark? Um, 
My wife, Claire, yeah, that's right. So she was at the BBC with with Alex, uh, Alex Walker-Sage. He was at Radio 1, and they knew each other and stayed in touch, and Claire knew his wife and blah, 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 blah. And, and she said to me, look, he's working for this agency now, and, and they're doing some quite interesting things. Uh-huh. And we, 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 uh, what had we done? We think, oh, well, I've just got a couple of new investors into the business as well. The original shareholders moved out, and, and we, we another guy came and put a bit of debt into the business, actually, which was used for at the time. And we said, look, we need to spend this wisely. Yeah. Let's really lock down everything about this brand into one place. So yeah. anyone that knew that joins a business, you just give them the book a pig. You know, yes, sit yeah. down with them. But if you can't sit down, we give them the book a pig yeah. or whatever. Let them digest it, understand what we stand for, what our personality is, and what we do and what we don't do. And, um, and um, yeah, so we... we uh, enlisted the help of some experts, mm. Alex Walker Sage and Mark Cramphorn. They were working for an agency at the time. Now the freelance, and we still work with them now, mm-hmm. and they're, they're very important to the business. And uh, the creative guy there, a guy called Flo, he sat down with me and said, "Look, just just brain dump everything, George. I can see what you're doing. I like the logo. I like I like everything mm-hmm. you're doing. However, just I need me. to get under your skin. What is it? You know." So we had a we had a long chat, and and then he he said, "Look, what I think we should do because what the the brief was to have." Uh, a, a sort of b2b document if you like yeah and he put together this idea of the book of pig and and he said actually this could work as a b2c thing you know this yeah. is good you could give this to consumers as well mm. so it doubled up and it's the best money we ever spent and they're yeah. geniuses them guys flo yeah. and mark and alex and um but they just got it just right yeah and i think that's because they just took the time with me to, to really just take it down brick by brick yep. and then put it back together brick by brick in a much better order yeah. you know so it was a house built on granite you know as yeah. a brand and it was really well spent and it just means now that if we want to do something and we're a bit unsure about whether we do it you know like a campaign or something yeah. then you, would it look right in the book of pig no okay we don't do it yes okay let's go and yeah. do it and my advice to anyone who's trying to build a brand is to make sure you just lock down what you stand for yes yeah. you can tweak it of course you can but get yeah. the dna in, in a one place so that you can always go back and test anything against it yeah i mean you can see that it's so professionally done you know yeah. it's, it's yeah. just dead pleasing to yeah. see and it's tactile it. it's yeah. nice and you know it, we update it from time to time and um and we get it printed at the same place. It's the place in Soho, actually, the, the, oh, okay. the old newspaper presses that, that, that print okay. it. And I believe it's in, in yeah, still here. Just they, and they're not, they're not, they're not cheap, but it's, you know, it's worth worth it. I think it shows you're serious as well. If we're trying to link it up with the name, you know, I, I think it just shows a yeah. certain amount of professionalism yeah. rather than yeah. oh, we're you know drying these out in my earring cupboard. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not that at all. Yeah. You know, so I think it's that's finding really that cool. balance. You know, it's that. It shows ambition, yeah. but it, it keeps keeps us very much in in you know in in the grassroots and you know our pubs and our independence are a really really important part to our business. And if you're and, too polished or looking too Unilever yeah. or whatever, well, everyone's a cynic, like, aren't they nowadays or whatever? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, but equally, you know, I sat down with Sainsbury's buyers, you know, a year ago, <clears> and. It works in that environment. Of course it does, because it shows that we're a challenger brand. It shows that they've yeah. got some differential over their, you know, the, the, our sort of competitive set, and, and it puts some clear air between some of the bigger yeah. bigger brands and yeah. us. And, you know, for that reason, you know, they, they like us and things are going well. And what's next then? What's the future for you? 
So we've we had a really really good raise on Crowdcube last mm. year. We've had two raises. Uh, we did Crowdbank 2015. That's when James came on and a few others. And then we we had a successful raise on Crowdcube last year. Or we closed it in April time in, in 19 and brought on 1600 investors. So our goal really is not just to grow our customer base and our product range, but really grow our community, engage with our community, do do interesting stuff, collaborations, work with the likes of obviously Brewdog a little bit more, do things with the other craft brewers, Tiny Rebel we, we, we like and, yeah. and they like us, they stock us. Um, and, you know, work a little bit closer with the wine people because now we've got our snack and cheese in the range, which is our bestseller. Then um, obviously that goes well with wine and we've got people like Chapel Down that we like to you know to work with a little bit we know them a little bit and we've we've got a few things that are coming down the track especially with british airways soon so beer and wine is sort of our sort of goes well with is is going to be a big campaign for the next 12 months at least yeah because there's an educational piece to do a little bit around some um less well-known products you know in terms of product categories so our crunchy snacking cheese there's no other product similar to it yeah so we've got to make sure people know how it works what's the occasion you know you tell us what it goes yeah, wrong with yeah. so engaging the community Beyond really us. getting them you know yeah. we've, we've got two new archers at the back of our existing arch in peckham mm-hmm. and in between and they're beautiful victorian you know viaducts and in between there's a nice courtyard space so we've developed that into club seriously live so club mm-hmm. seriously is our our sort of um loyalty if you like sort of um mechanism to to engage with 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 our community and we've got I think six thousand members now wow. so they get an email offer so not only our shareholders our 1600 that we brought on through crowdkid they're obviously honorary members if you like mm. a club seriously we've got another sort of four and a half thousand um so we can do events in this space and we had our first event in september and i'll send you a video to we filmed yeah, it and it was great yeah. local uh, brewery brick brewery came mm-hmm. along and did a beer tasting we had live music there from sa and the voodoo people which were a brixton band that are on the up so we want to do more of that um as i said grow the product range so we've got truffle cheese coming out soon mm-hmm. uh, so we, at the moment we've got classic and then we've got our rosemary and we've got a truffle one coming which is Brilliant. insanely good a little bit more expensive yeah but worth every penny it's crazy it into the pink stuff again. yeah yeah, yeah. um we're going <clears> to <throat> rebrand do a little bit more work with our peanuts uh yeah. that we co- collaborate with cornish sea salt so non-meat products are important to us and yeah gherkins leave greece tomorrow okay. our first palette of pickled gherkins so you know how you get olives in a pouch yep yep so it's exactly the same they're drained wow. ready to go tiny little cornichons uh, with a bit of dill very beautifully good. pickled not too sweet quite tangy mm-hmm. um so we'll be pushing them out um soon and, and off the back of that see what other brand extensions we can do um we want to work um with some of the larger format sainsbury stores mm-hmm. so that's really important to us to um to, to make the most of the, of the good start we've had with sainsbury's because we only really got going with them in summer last year yeah um and um yeah more events as well direct to consumer stuff we don't yeah. do too much on the trade side of things people know who we are and sometimes they are just a way to sort of run up an expense bill for, for you know for, for the business unnecessarily yeah. you know uh, i'd rather do the b2c stuff and yeah. be bringing on new club seriously members and engaging with our customers and sort of really trying to understand yeah. what, what what do you think we should do next you know because yeah. you ask them they'll tell you yeah you know and, and we get really good suggestions well I, th- I think the cool thing about that is then you've got a bit of pester power yeah. From the customers well, saying to the Yeah, pubs, I'm glad you've said that. Why that have you was not one of the things in? I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I think there is an argument, real, real argument nowadays to mm. try and break, you know, to greater distribution yeah. through 
creating the consumer demand yeah. to the retailer rather than going to the buyers. Yeah. I've got a buyer at a supermarket that we should be in, okay? And we know we should be in because every mm. week we get an email from someone saying, why aren't you in X mm. group of stores? And I'm saying, we should be. But the buyers, they, they don't, they, you know, for whatever reason, for their, their own mandate and their own internal problems or whatever it is, or, or just relationships have already got with established, they just yeah. don't want to know. But we know it will sell. It'll probably be the best performing product. Yeah. So we've got to just sort of give up a little bit there yeah, and just yeah. sort of get them emailing this, this retail and say, look, you need to put this in because mm. I'm going to buy, you know. So, yeah, the, creating the consumer demand is, is, a really, is a really interesting way to yeah. do it. But the more direct-to-consumer stuff we do, for example, we've got a big tasting coming up with British Airways, is making sure that they are passing that message on or recommending is that word of mouth thing yeah, i was talking yeah, yeah. about more you know you can reach more and more of them from time to time that'll find its way to someone who actually got some buying power somewhere mm. that you never even knew existed so yeah. your consumer can actually be your buyer as well yeah, yeah, yeah. so the more people we can see if we can see a thousand people there might be one person there that's a buyer for an airline or a hotel chain yeah. or something you know well also it will then be linked to good times so if it is someone going on holiday even and they're having their brew dog on ba and serious pig, and it's good matter. Oh, I just did this great thing, and they might not be able to place it. It feels new to them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they really discovered exciting. it. As yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Gives exactly. them ownership of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the last couple of things I was just going to ask then were uh, mark out of ten. So we do a little bit there, yeah. just on yeah. favourites and yeah. worst things. So best city to eat in. So it's easy to say London, obviously. Yep. Uh, but I won't. Um, but I will acknowledge that it is a great city oh, to yeah. eat in, much better than it was sort of when I moved here 10 years ago. But I went to India for the first time, I think, in about 2005, and I flew into Mumbai, and I was meeting someone there, and I said, let's go out and eat. And it didn't matter where you went. It was just brilliant. I was yeah, in my yeah. element. It was just an insane, just great food everywhere. Just street, I'm talking about street food, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, um, and there's probably other cities in India just as good, but that was my first experience of somewhere where I just went, wow. Yeah. Stunning. Okay, I like this place. How yeah. long can I stay for? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. there might be a serious pig offshoot into the yeah, Indian yeah. snacks. Yeah. yeah, thoughts around that. Definitely. <laughs> Best restaurant to eat in? Um, sticking with the same theme, um, Ganapati in Peckham. Yeah. Uh, amazing um, South Indian um, restaurant that just do curries that aren't really what you imagine when you think yeah. of curries. Very light, full of flavour, full of... They're just delicate flavours, beautiful flavours, yeah. things that are done really, really well. Slow-cooked lamb dishes. Again, they're using high-welfare British lamb as mm. well, which isn't, which isn't, um, you know, they're not cutting corners. They're just doing, you know, s- I wouldn't say simple food. It is complex to get, yeah, to get yeah. right, to get the balance of flavours right and whatever, but they're just doing it really, really well. Yeah. And I love eating there. And I ate there on Saturday, just gone, and nice. I'll be win- working out when I'm going to go back next. So <laughs> I recommend you go to Ganapati. Okay, we'll check that out. Best dish? Um, I can't stay with curry, can I? Do you uh, like? uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, I just love a meat and potato pie. I'm yeah. going to say it, yeah, with white pepper. From so where, where, what, homemade? So my mom, or? Yeah, 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 my mum will make a great meat and potato pie. You know, braise, braising steak, you know, but flank and, and just get the potatoes in early, make sure there's pastry at the bottom of the, you know, oh, not yeah, just, yeah, not just not a pastry lid. Yeah, yeah. And then... If you can eat it the following day when the, when the potatoes are soaked up the gravy, then you're you know, yeah, you're laughing with <laughs> with with um, 
nice. short crisp pastry. We've had a lot of comfort food in the last week or so. Um, yeah. you know, it's a lot winter, of people, yeah, yeah. So maybe, yeah. A lot yeah. of people going that way. And the last couple of things was um, best drink. What's your go-to? I was thinking about this. Beverage. So I, I just have a, I just have a memory from a couple of years ago of drinking a pint. Uh, well, it wasn't a pint. You wouldn't mm. be able to drink a pint of it. Um, it was like a third of an imperial stout, okay. which was a collaboration between a friend of mine who's got a brewery called Howling Hops, okay. which are in Hackney. Yeah, I think I've seen them. And, and another guy uh, I know down in um, Falmouth called Adam that runs a brewery called uh, Verdant. Yes, I know Verdant. And they yeah, collaborated yeah. together uh-huh. on an imperial stout. It was called Uto. I don't know if I pronounced oh, that yeah, right. Okay. U-T-O. Uto. Probably is, yeah. And um, it was just mind-bending, mind-bendingly good. It was fresh. It was. Ju- I'd got it just at the right time. It come yeah, out of the fridge. It'd been kept cold since it was, since it was, since it was canned. I think it was bottled actually then because they wouldn't bottle. Is it still around? No, no. Oh, no. It was a one-off. Wanted... But if you're listening, Pete, Adam, <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> Get I'll buy it, it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was strong, sort of like probably 11% imperial stout. But yeah, yeah, yeah. just just one of them ones where you go, wow. Yeah. I remember delicious. that forever. That was amazing. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. And then the last one's just worst restaurant or yeah. experience. You know, what do you avoid? What Have you had a shocker lately? I, I think that um, street food is great. It's a great movement. And street food that moves into restaurants um, is great too. But you've got to get it right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a little bit, it's become, perhaps it became a little bit lazy where you, where you sit down, the six of you, and someone will come along and say, hey, look, this is street food, so when the dish is ready, we'll just bring out stuff as and when it's ready and whatever. And, okay, do that. But don't bring us six bowls of rice and nothing else. (laughs) And then 20 minutes later, just bring us one bowl of prawns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another 20 minutes later... What maybe one more bowl, bowl of rice or uh, uh, and, and three chicken satay or whatever yeah, it is, yeah. just you know, come on, get your shit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think I think it's probably picked up. I just remember one particular night, and I was like, come on, this is crazy. <laughs> been here for an hour, we've all just been sat here just looking at some rice. Some of us started eating the rice. Yeah. Some prawns have called, and we've all come and we've almost collapsed the table diving onto them. <laughs> Not good, not no, good. No, no. Right, Mister. I think we'll need to head because Thank someone Mark, is yeah, due yeah, in. Yeah, but yeah. it's been a real pleasure meeting you and and just getting to know you as well. And yeah. uh, I think the product, the brand, your story, the success of it. You know, it's all just fantastic to see and well deserved. So I'm Thank so chuffed for you and just wishing you super well for the next few years until you know you can move to India full time yeah yeah you know get yeah. that yacht yeah well I need to I've got to bring the kids up first and before we take them <laughs> now and then, and then yeah but uh, no I really appreciate you having me and I've That's enjoyed it thank thank you so much and uh, yeah I look forward to listening back great thanks man cheers so there you go really pleased to meet George such an interesting guy such an interesting business Really keen for you all to check it out. And also, if you're in the market for some snacks and some snacked goods for your business, then do give George a little call because I don't think you'll regret it. Huge thanks to all of you for listening, sharing, writing reviews, getting in touch with me through my Insta DMs and all the lovely well wishes and support that we get every single week. So please keep doing that. It really makes it feel worth doing every single week as you're doing the podcast and delaying the work you probably should be doing so thank you for that really really appreciate it huge thanks to bdo for all of their help in terms of 
supporting us all the way through all of these episodes over 40 now. So they've just been an amazing partner. And as I always say, do get in touch with them if you need any financial advice or anything to grow your business, to make it attractive, to exit, get some investment or sell. Massive thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the podcast together. Always appreciate it. And thanks for all of your hard work in the late nights doing everything you need to do to get this out to everyone. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I really hope that this episode is slightly different, but gave you some really good ideas, thoughts and advice from a real entrepreneur and founder about how you can help your brand boom. Boom.